Whew. Golly, I am nervous this morning. I feel like Elvis Presley up here. I got a shaky leg over here. I got a shaky leg over here. My hands are sweaty. My knees are shaking. I can't seem to stand on my own two feet. Thank you. Um, good morning. Um, do we have any people of a German heritage in church here this morning? Are there any Germans in church? This, this was formerly the German Baptist Church of Calgary, am I correct? So there are a few Germans here this morning, for those of you that don't know. Is there anybody here this morning from Greece? Okay, just checking, just checking. There's a, there's a little soccer tournament going on right now. Europe 2012. There's a, there a game a few days ago between Germany and Greece. Do you know who won that game? Oh, Germany, Germany. Well, I was thinking to myself, you know, somehow there's got to be a way to tie this in because this morning's scripture has a little bit to do with Germany and Greece. Because the text that we're reading this morning, if we didn't have it here in the scripture, we might not even be here at this church in Calgary, Alberta, listening to the gospel. Because in fact, Acts chapter 16, we have the gospel leaving Asia Minor, as, as Jesus said that we would take the word from Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, we're going to have the gospel come to Europe for the first time. And uh, before I get started, I just want to say thank you to, uh, to my teammates this week who helped me in studying. had a pretty solid lineup there with uh, Spurgeon and Bruce, Stott, Vandermeulen, uh, Haddon Robinson, I think Driscoll teed it up a little bit there, so uh, have a pretty good lineup, some great thinkers. I'm not going to reinvent the wheel here this morning. I'm going to share a lot of uh, the teaching that I learned from them, and I get to preach it. I'd also like to thank my sponsors, Briar's Ice Cream and Red Bull, because this sermon would not be here without them either. Now, let's recap this morning. The big idea of the book of Acts is that God's kingdom advances as Christians witness to the risen and the returning Jesus. And they do this by preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and as God's word is preached and people live in the power of the Spirit, God is reaching out to lost people through the gospel's words and our actions. And the writer of Acts is Luke. Luke. Luke is the writer of Acts, and his goal is to trace the spread of Christianity from its beginnings in Jerusalem to the city of Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire, the heart of the known world. And by doing this, Luke is going to affirm that Christianity is not just the pinnacle or the consummation of the Jewish religion, but that it's a global religion, the gospel for the entire world. So... The spread of Christianity occurs by what Luke calls the increase of the word of God. And the more that we see the word of God go out into the world, the more growth we see in the church. And it's the increase of the word of God and the growth of the church that we're going to look at this morning. So I'm going to read from the English Standard Version, and I'll ask you all to please rise again as we read uh, our scripture this morning. Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 15. 
And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and then the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, we remained in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where there was supposed to be a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, her and her whole household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed on us. Please be seated. That's our scripture this morning. Okay. God saves sinners. Amen? That's the good news. That's the gospel. Jesus is setting people free from the bondage of sin. Jesus saves rebellious people. Jesus saves religious people. Jesus saves women. He saves men. He saves black people. He saves white people. He saves young. He, sa he saves the older people. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what you've done. God is setting all kinds of different people free. And the key point to remember in the freedom that Jesus gives us is that it's God who sets these people free. So let's begin in verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And they had come up to Mysia and attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they headed down to Troas. Now, does God really close doors for ministry? Would God's Holy Spirit really forbid the sharing of the gospel? At Thornhill Baptist Church, we have our mission statement in the foyer hanging on the wall. What does it say? To know Christ and to make him known. We're going to tell people about Jesus and how he loves them and how they can be saved and be in a relationship with God the Father. That's a good idea, right? Are we not as fully devoted followers of Christ? Are we not supposed to... Get this good news to everyone in any way possible at all times? Why would the Holy Spirit forbid evangelism? Well, let's look here. So the Greek word for forbidden here is kaluo, which simply means hindered or prevented. And Paul and his mission team were somehow, in some way, because the text doesn't tell us, prevented from going north into Asia. And the bottom line here is that it was the Spirit of God that blocked the way. Was there something wrong with Asia? No. In fact, Asia was such an important region that later on there would be cities in Ephesus, Smyrna, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Pergamum, 
Smyrna, Colossae, and even Thyatira. But for now, Paul was forbidden to speak to them. Perhaps the people in Asia North were not ready to hear the gospel. Perhaps God was not done working in their hearts. Or perhaps the Spirit sometimes says no so that he can lead us to greater ministry elsewhere. God can lead by hindrance. There are many times when the Holy Spirit guides as much by slamming doors shut as he does by opening them. But get this. It's important to notice that Paul is willing to lay down his agenda, his plans, his will, in order to respond to the leading of the God's Spirit. Even when he comes to a screeching halt and seems to be facing a brick wall. Now, I wonder what's going through Paul's mind here. He's, he's in Troas. He's sitting on, on the shore, looking out over the Aegean Sea, waves crashing against one another. And he's thinking to himself, man, if God has called me to preach the gospel, yes, this I know. I try to go north, you know. I figure those people need the gospel. And I try to go north, northwest. They need it. No, road's blocked. Try to go south, the road's blocked. Maybe I'm supposed to go back east. Lord, where are you leading me? And then verse 9. Actually, before that, there's three things I want to share with you about God's will before we go on. Number one, this is how we seek God's will. Number one, you need to surrender your own will. Nine times out of ten, this is where people get hung up the most. This is where the struggle is. And I know this because I'm here right now. Surrender your own will, because when we can, can rid ourselves of our selfish desires and, and open ourselves up for primarily God's desire, then everything else kind of falls into place. So number one, you need to surrender your will. Don't depend on your feelings. They're deceiving. Surrender your will. Number two, we seek the Spirit through God's Word. George Mueller says that, I seek the will of the Spirit of God through or in connection with the Word. The Spirit and the Word must be combined. If I look to the Spirit alone without the Word, I lay myself open to great delusion. But if the Holy Spirit guides us, He will do it according to His Scriptures and not, never contrary to them. And thirdly, we need to acknowledge God's providence. There are no coincidences, especially when your will is surrendered to God. Taking providential circumstances into play will many times plainly show where God is leading you. So, number one, we surrender our selfish ambitions. Number two, we go to the scripture. And number three, we look around and we see where the Spirit's moving. Okay, now we'll go. Verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, there are a few things here that I want to point out. The Lord's calling may become evident in different ways. And in this case, Paul's calling to southern Greece was through a vision. But one very important principle we find here in the calling of Macedonia Paul was already actively in ministry, trying to preach the gospel in the province of Asia. Okay? He was not sitting at home, checking his email, waiting for a phone call to go somewhere and share the gospel. No. So the Holy Spirit, in some way, very clear to Paul, blocked off the roads to which he was trying to preach the gospel. But then he opened up another door with this special vision. 
Have you ever wondered, what if Paul had not been redirected to Philippi, to southern Greece? This is a rhetorical question. I know what a rhetorical question is now. Because uh, a couple hockey games ago, I play ice hockey in the summer, my buddy Ron and I, we're lacing up our skates in the dressing room, getting ready to play some hockey, and we were talking about Pastor Ken's sermon that morning. And Pastor Ken had asked a rhetorical question, and I believe it was Acts chapter 15, going, have you ever wondered why Timothy needed to be circumcised? To which I replied up in the top balcony, why, yes! <laughs> I didn't know rhetorical questions meant you were supposed to think about the question. But I actually did wonder why Timothy had to be circumcised. I mean, I phoned Ken up in the middle of work, driving. Ken, I'm on the speakerphone, don't worry. Why did Timothy have to get circumcised? I thought salvation was by Christ alone. So I actually did. Um, so rhetorical questions are here to make you think. I won't be yelling out from the balcony no more. And just so we know, Acts chapter 15 told us that Timothy was circumcised to open up the door to greater ministry opportunities to the Jewish people. Timothy's mom was a Jew and his dad was a Gentile, so it was to open the door to ministry. It was not for salvation. So have you ever wondered why Paul, what if Paul had not been redirected to Philippi and, and Greece? If he hadn't, he might have never gone into Europe and Christianity might have remained primarily an Asian religion. We might not be here today had the gospel not come across, Acts chapter 16. But God did have other purposes, didn't he? Now let's go to the word help in verse 9. It comes from the Greek word botheo, which means to run upon hearing a cry. If you're a parent, then imagine your little boy, little girl fall down the stairs. They get hurt. They're crying out and you're running. Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? And if you're a guy, imagine there's a village or a city under attack and you're Rambo and they need you and you got to go save them. Okay? There's a sense of urgency in this Greek word, help, to deliver the Europeans from suffering. Suffering from what? They're spiritually lost. They need Jesus. They need to know the love of Christ. The greatest help that we can bring anyone in is the life-changing gospel of Jesus. Yes, it's good to bring physical help, food and shelter and clothing, medical needs, social justice. But without the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ, what help of eternal value can you give them? And another thing worth noting here is verse 10. This is where, uh, in the scripture, the pronoun they switches to we. And it's showing us that Dr. Luke the author of the Gospel of Luke and the writer of the book of Acts, Luke is joining the, missioning, the mission party here at Troas. And uh, Luke will stay with them until they leave in Acts 17, and then he'll switch it back around to they, as it seems that Luke stays in Philippi to help this new church plant. So I don't want us to miss this part, because I think it's very important. Otherwise, you think, okay, they came to Troas, Dr. Luke was there, he joined up, good job. But... God had Paul and his team go to Troas. I mean, he could have gave them the vision in, in Mysia, but no, he gives them the vision in Troas because that's where they meet Luke. And they end up inviting this doctor along. If God wouldn't have said no over here and no over here, then, then Paul might not have even been in Troas. And we might not have the Gospel of Luke. We might not have the book of Acts. We call this the providence of God. This whole chapter is predicated upon God's providence. That's a big word, eh? 
predicated upon God's I thought of that. I told Debbie last night. <laughs> and as we read on, we'll see over and over in Acts, what some people would call coincidence is God's working things out for his own purpose. This is providence. Now, this portion of scripture that we just went through quickly, we reviewed this uh, Acts uh, 16, 6 to 10. This is commonly referred to as the Macedonian call because it's a summons to the mission field. And now, in closing out this text, I would sum it up with this truth and this challenge that God still calls people to the mission field. Some of us today, maybe next year, maybe, maybe this summer, some of you will encounter a Macedonian man who will call you to the mission field. And we need to be praying and asking God that those who hear a Macedonian man will respond the same way that Paul responded. I watched a movie this week called Machine Gun Preacher. Yeah, that's right, Machine Gun Preacher. It's a true story about Sam Childers who responded to the Macedonian call in his own life. But this Macedonian man turned out to be the orphan children and widows of war-torn East Africa. We're talking earlier, Jeff was sharing about human trafficking. And a lot of times that's in the sex trade, but it also very real in Sudan, where these children are being ripped from their villages and homes and being put in the, what they call the LRA, the Lord's Republican Army. And uh, Sam Childers, before Jesus, used to be a drug dealer. He was in a biker gang, alcoholic, drug addict. And then after Jesus... Sam dedicates his life to the Lord, all his time and his resources to rescuing children in the war zone of South Sudan. His Macedonian call to Sudan became a reality when he joined a mission group to help repair huts in the villages during the conflict. And during some of his time there, Sam stumbled across the body of a child torn apart by a landmine. And he fell to his knees and he made a pledge to God that he would do whatever it took to help the people of southern Sudan. He sought God's will by what we just learned a few minutes ago. Number one, he surrendered his will. And, and he returned to Sudan several months later to run this mobile clinic and God sent him another message. God said, I want you to build an orphanage for the children of Sudan. And now, remember what the book of James says. Uh, James chapter 127, it says... That what the Father accepts as, as pure, wholesome, faultless religion is to look after orphans and widows in their distress. And so, one, he surrendered his will, and two, it lined up with the word of God. And number three, in the providence of God, he was led to build this orphanage in the heart of the war zone. The local people thought he was crazy because the LRA, the Lord's Resistance Army, the, this is a brutal rebel militia. They'd kidnapped over 30,000 children, murdered hundreds of thousands of villagers. They were laying waste to the area, and God is using this man to plant an orphanage right in the middle. And Sam was adamant. He said, God told me to build the orphanage. I'm building this orphanage. So during the day, he would clear the brush, build the huts that would house the children. And then in the evening, he slept under a mosquito net hanging from a tree with a Bible in one hand and an AK-47 in another. And when the orphanage was finished, he began to lead armed missions out to rescue children from the LRA. And, of course, the stories get told, and uh, it, 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 it's, he's got a book, he's got a movie called The Machine Gun Preacher. But here we are 13 years later, 
And the orphanage is the largest in southern Sudan. It has fed and housed over 1,000 children. And today, more than 200 children call that orphanage home. That's how God's kingdom advances. Jesus changed Sam, used him as a vessel. And when Sam saw the man from Macedonia in his own life, in those Sudanese people, and he received his Macedonian call, he went. And it changed many lives, and it still does. And when the apostle Paul saw in a vision the man from Macedonia, it changed the history of the world. Responding to the man's plea to come over to Macedonia, Paul altered his plans. It's in Macedonia that we know he's going to lead Lydia to the Lord. It was there that the evangelization of the Western world begins. Hayden Robinson puts it like this in summing it up. All Christians should be on the lookout for the man from Macedonia. That man or woman may be well-educated or may not have any education at all. He might drive an expensive car or he may be poor and eke out a living ransacking garbage cans. And he might live next door to you, down the street, maybe across the sea. He might speak a different language, but wherever you find him, whatever his situation, he has one pressing need to know the love of Jesus Christ as his Savior. And the plea will always be the same. Come over and help us. Sooner or later, somebody will call out for help. Will you be quick to answer? We go to verse 11. So setting sail from... Now, you might find this a little bit funny. But I'm trying to picture receiving the message from the pews. And I was trying to get my direct north, east, south, west. And I don't, I don't have PowerPoint figured out yet. But uh, here's north, east, south, west. So I had wrote uh, east here and west here so I could do this. That's funny, eh? <laughs> okay. So picture here we are. We're, we're on the coast of the Aegean Sea. And we are west. Okay? We're in Troas. And now across the Aegean Sea is Neapolis, which is on, on the coast of Macedonia. So, from Troas to Neapolis is about 120 miles. And Neapolis is the seaport city to Philippi. Philippi is actually about 10 to 15 more miles inland. And uh, it's located on what we call the Via Ignatia. This is a big deal, I think. The Via Ignatia is a paved road from from the coast of the Aegean Sea all the way across Macedonia to the Adriatic Sea, Diarachium, which is modern-day Albania, there's this 530-mile stretch of paved road. Pretty convenient that a guy carrying the good news of Jesus Christ enters into a city that's connected to this road, wouldn't you say? It was like the Trans-Canada Highway of Macedonia. All the major urban centers were connected on this road. So this is important because the scripture tells us it took two days to go from Troas to Neapolis and leaving Asia Minor, heading to Europe. And why is this important? Because later on in Acts chapter 20, it tells us that it took five days to get back. And now I point it out because we see this is not a coincidence. This is God's providence in action. Why? Because we know that there's going to be a particular woman seeking the Lord, praying by a river on the following Sabbath. And if this mission team is delayed by bad winds or, or for whatever reason, they're going to miss each other. The gospel might not make it there. 
Do you see what's going on, though? The wisdom and greatness of God's sovereign plan of salvation is unfolding. And in Paul's mind, as he traveled through Asia, right, trying to enter into Bithynia and Mysia, he was thinking of reaching a few cities for Jesus Christ. But on the other hand, God had much bigger plans. He was going to reach an entire continent through Paul for Jesus Christ. And now from Philippi, which was the leading city in the district of Macedonia, it was a Roman colony, we remained there for some days. A few things about Philippi. It was a Roman colony. That's a big deal. It was Rome away from Rome. Home away from home. (laughs) Now the emperor would organize colonies by ordering Roman citizens, especially retired military personnel, and and he would get them to live in selected places so that there would be strong pro-Roman cities in strategic areas, in these major urban centers. And, And of course... Though they were living on foreign soil, they were citizens of Rome. They were expected to be loyal to Rome, obey the laws, give honor to the emperor. And for leaving Italy, their home, and and being placed elsewhere, they were given political privileges, no taxes, etc. And this is a strategic city. It's on a major highway. It had history. Philippi is the city that was planted by Alexander the Great's father, Philip of Macedon. And, excuse me. It was a center of education. Students were there. Commerce was there. Business was there. There were technological advancements. Cultural progresses of the day were there. Excuse me. It was a very religious town, city. Spiritual town. Lots of paganism. Cult worship. Emperor worship. And uh, religion, spirituality. But there was very little knowledge of the Bible. And how do we know that? Because we keep reading in the text. And it says in verse 13... That on the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come there. Now the Sabbath, if you remember, the Sabbath is a sign between the Lord and the nation of Israel. The sign of the old covenant, the law. Uh, It was to set them apart. Israel was to observe the Sabbath because it was holy, set apart for them. So why are they out there by the river? Why aren't they in synagogue where they're supposed to be on the Sabbath? See, Paul normally went first to the local synagogue when he arrived in a new city. But apparently there was none in Philippi. Otherwise, he would have been there. You see, you needed ten Jewish men who were heads of their household to to constitute a synagogue. We call that a quorum. But they needed ten men to make a synagogue. Obviously, Philippi doesn't even have ten believing men. Very small Jewish population. And the only religious activity on the weekly Sabbath was apparently the ladies' river prayer meeting. So that's where Paul headed. And this gathering of women becomes the core, becomes the nucleus for the first Christian church in Europe. My friends, never underestimate the power of a ladies' prayer meeting. Amen? Rita, I have that list of students for you too. I remembered when I was writing that. This small group of women seeking the Lord, okay? Now, verse 14 is loaded. Verse 14, we could break down and do an entire year of of different series of sermons. So first, I'm going to read it again here. Verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. 
The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. One who heard us. Now the word for heard us here describes an act of listening. Really earnestly, honestly, intently listening was this woman. What? I thought Paul's vision was of a Macedonian man. Surprise! It's a woman seeking the Lord here. And I guarantee that the Lord will always give you enough information to fill your calling according to his purpose, even if the details don't pan out as you might imagine. Okay? And her name is Lydia. Ladies and gentlemen, the first European Christian convert. And she was from Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. Thyatira was a city in Asia North, uh, in Turkey. Uh, therefore, Lydia was probably Asian. And you got, Thyatira was where you got the purple dyes. And this was the purple that was used in the fabric of the togas of the Roman Empire. So it was the official Roman toga worn throughout the empire. That's a tongue twister. So she had money. She was a businesswoman, but she was also a worshiper of God. And most commentators feel that she wasn't Jewish. She was a Gentile seeker of God. So she did know many of the truths of Judaism, which were good stepping stones for the knowledge of Christ. So here we are. Lydia, a wealthy woman from Thyatira, the hub of the fashion industry. She was a dealer in purple cloth, popular a popular color for royalty. She was traveling businesswoman. She probably had a home in both places, Philippi and Thyatira. I looked up some fashion designers. A modern day equivalent of Lydia would be uh, Vera Wang. Probably have a house in New York, house in Paris, villa in the Mayan Riviera, okay? And now here is the sweetest evangelistic scripture you will ever read in the Bible. The Lord opened her heart. The Lord thoroughly, totally opened her heart and mind. Paul didn't do it. Her prayers didn't do it. Judaism didn't do it. Being a good person in a pagan environment didn't do it. Keeping the Sabbath didn't do it. Do you get the picture? Friends, when your life turns around, give credit to where credit is due. Repentance is a gift to undeserving sinners, granted by a merciful, kind, loving, compassionate God. And the Bible teaches this truth over and over, and it's called grace. This verse is clearly teaching the sovereignty of God and salvation. And when Lydia hears the gospel, the Lord opened her heart and she believed. And this is just another example of where divine election, human responsibility are juxtaposed. They're naturally side by side. God moves in us to move. In other words, when you hear someone say that they found God or I found Jesus, I find it kind of humorous. Like there's this divine game of hide and seek going on. Like, Jesus is hiding. I found Jesus. Come on, Jesus, you're supposed to count to three. We don't find God. We don't find Jesus. But what is meant by that is that God has gotten a hold of somebody and their life is never going to be the same. You see, we don't accept Jesus into our life because he is life. It's in him that we begin to truly live. We don't make Jesus a part of our life. He must become our life. The big idea here is that salvation is a work God must do in all who believe because it's Jesus who said, 
No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Well, if God draws everyone to him, then why even share your faith at all? Why even go to Macedonia? Because it's through our Christian witness, our spirit-empowered living out in all that we do, in all that we face each day, that God is drawing people in. Remember that the big idea of the book of Acts is that God's kingdom advances as Christians witness to the risen and returning Christ. And they do this by their preaching and their living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we do the same. And the Lord opens her heart. To what? Well, it says right here, to pay attention to what was said by Paul. That Greek word here, pay attention to, aprikonomai, it means to get it. God helped her to get it. She kept her mind centered on the things Paul was saying, and, and Paul's word gripped her. And the word for spoken in this verse is not the official proclamation of the word. It's not a sermon. The, word, the Greek word here for spoken is trying to picture a personal conversation. And in closing, have you ever wondered what that conversation might have looked like between Paul and Lydia? Sitting on the bank of the river, just outside of town, sun shining, water, birds singing. God sets up these stories. God sets up these moments. That's his providence in action. I think it went something like this. My dear Lydia, Lydia, you're smart, successful businesswoman, but in spite of your great wealth and fortune, you're empty inside, aren't you? You ask, how do I know that? You're out here by the river on the Sabbath, worshiping a God you're not even entirely sure of. I know you're a Gentile, but I can see that you've turned away from your pagan roots, otherwise you wouldn't even be here. You're trying to fill that emptiness with the religion of Judaism. It's not going to work. Lydia, it's not going to work. You can keep all the rules you want. It's not going to work. You're probably trying to uh, understand the scriptures. You might know a little bit of, of the Jewish writings, but you don't quite get it. You, you probably know some of the patriarchs, some of the promises and the law, the sacrificial system. You probably think being a worshiper means you have to be moral you know, follow the laws of Moses, be accepted by God. Well, let me tell you the truth, Lydia. Living by the law, trying to keep those rules, they're going to leave you feeling condemned, tired. You're still going to be empty. You're never going to measure up, Lydia. Are you confused yet? There's something missing in your life, Lydia. It's Jesus. It's the gospel. You're missing the love of Christ in your life. Lydia, you asked me what it means to be a Christian. You know what? I'll tell you. I'll tell you. There's one God. There is one God, and he is maker of heaven and earth, and he made us in his image and likeness, male and female, with dignity, value, worth, and purpose. He made us to worship. And we chose to sin against him to rebel against him, to disobey him, and as a result, we are separated from God, our creator, and we live under this foolish idea that to some degree, we're each our own gods, declaring our own right and wrong. We live by our own standards. And Lydia, 
Here's the good news. Here's the gospel. That God lovingly came into human history as a man, Jesus Christ. Fully God, fully man. Son of God, God the Son. And that he was born of a virgin and he lived without sin, though he was tempted in every way as we are. He went, he went to the cross. And there he substituted himself. You see, Lydia, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they substituted themselves for God. And at the cross, Jesus reversed that substitution and substituted himself for sinners. And when Jesus went to the cross, he took willingly upon himself the sin of those who would come to trust in him. That means me, Lydia, a sinner. And Lydia, that means you. That when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he took upon himself all of our sin, all of your sin, all of my sin, past, present, and future. And Jesus Christ, this God who was man, he died in my place for my sins, paying my debt to God and purchasing my salvation. You know what? It didn't end there, Lydia. Jesus' dead body was then laid in a tomb, and for three days he was buried. But it didn't end there, Lydia. Because on the third day, a Sunday, which is why we, we now worship on a Sunday, on the third day, he rose. Jesus rose in victory over Satan, sin, death, demons, and hell. And that's not all, Lydia. He then commissioned us with this Holy Spirit within us to be missionaries, telling this amazingly good news that there is a God who loves us, who passionately, lovingly, continually, relentlessly pursues us. And he ascended into heaven. And today, Lydia, Jesus is alive and well. And he's seated on a throne. And he's ruling and reigning over all nations and all cultures, all philosophies, all races, all periods of time. He's ruling over the Asians. He's ruling over the Europeans. Women, men, children, the elderly, the rich, the poor, the wise, the simple, black, white, and those who are living, those who are dead, those who have been born, those who will be born, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And he's ruling and reigning over all people, commanding everyone, everywhere to repent of everything. And Lydia, he's coming again. He is coming again to judge the living and the dead. And those who don't trust in him will suffer apart from him in the conscious eternal hell. But those who do trust in him will enjoy eternity in his kingdom of heaven forever. And that's what we believe, Lydia. That's the gospel. That's the good news. We believe in Jesus. And he has tied this all together, Lydia. It's not an accident. It's not a coincidence that I'm here by the river today sharing this life-changing news that salvation is found in Christ alone. The Spirit of God used Paul as a vessel to win the heart of this woman to Christ, just like he's using Sam Childers to bring children to Christ in Sudan. And it's important to note that it was the word which brought the sinner Lydia to the Savior Christ. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say unto you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out from death unto life. And we close with verse 15, after she was baptized. Okay? No words. Man, she was baptized. And her whole household as well. And she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. The two things that evidence that God got a hold of her is that 
Lydia's heart was open and she was obedient. As soon as she believed in Jesus, she said, let's get baptized. I want to identify my life. I want to identify myself with Jesus Christ. That's a great sign of a humble and broken heart when a child of God is willing to obey a command which is not essential for his salvation. It's not forced upon him by anyone, but just a simple act of obedience. It's saying, I, I have Jesus in my corner. I'm with Jesus now. Okay? And the second thing was, her salvation was evidenced by love, showing itself in grateful kindness and compassion to the missionaries. It's called the attitude of gratitude. She insisted that the missionaries stay at her house. Okay? Love to the family of believers, her new brothers in the faith. Love for the Christian church has always been the mark of a true follower of Christ. So here we are. Halfway through the missionary's time in Philippi. We're halfway through Acts chapter 16. And we can now say that we know how the Spirit of God brought the gospel into Europe and whose life was first changed in the Western world. And so we end on a high note, praising God for his salvation work in Lydia and bringing the gospel to Macedonia. But the mission trip in Philippi is not all sunshine and rainbows because it's only half begun. And things are going to get ugly the enemy is going to attack. The gospel is going to face heavy opposition in the remaining verses of this chapter. It's going to get dark and dangerous for those who claim that salvation is in Christ alone. But the last half of Acts chapter 16 is for another day. So we praise God for the gospel coming to Europe. And I'll ask Pastor Ken to come and close us in a benediction. Thank you.